This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is your last chance to enter the Ohio Lottery's Fun Turns 50 promotion. Score $3,500 and two tickets to the epic party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where you could win part of another $400,000 in cash prizes. Enter the new 50th anniversary scratch-off or $50 worth of eligible non-winning $5 or $10 scratch-offs and My Lotto Rewards through the Ohio Lottery app. Hurry up. The last entry deadline is May 13th. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode features discussion of abduction and torture that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. In 1989, John Vasquez jolted awake in his bed. He thought he could still see the blurry faces that had been looking back at him in his dream. The faces, fuzzy and undefined, were staring stiffly ahead all looking in the same direction. He had been having these unsettling but strangely familiar nightmares more and more often over the past few months. He could never remember anything more than the rows of faces, their features too blurred to identify. Each time he awoke in bed, however, he couldn't shake the feeling that what he was seeing wasn't a dream. Instead, it felt like a very distant memory buried for so long that he had almost forgotten. It wasn't until later in the morning that his head began to clear, and the first of many memories came back to him. The faces that he had been seeing in his dreams sharpened, their features becoming distinct in his mind. They were the faces of his company, Delta Company, 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry, from his time spent stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia in 1977. And once John Vasquez realized who he had been seeing in his dream, he began to remember flashes of the incredible, terrifying events that he had witnessed that year. Lights floating in the night sky, the stars swirling above him in a vortex. There was the voice that had echoed in Vasquez's head. And there was the strange man with silver eyes. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial on the Parcast Network. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. 
We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. Today, we're discussing the week-long alien encounter that infantryman John Vasquez and 1,300 other U.S. Army troops experienced at Fort Benning, Georgia. Next week, we'll dive into Vasquez's investigation of the official story of the Fort Benning incident. If Vasquez is to be believed, it was one of the largest military cover-ups in U.S. history. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. By 1989, John Vasquez had been struggling for years to piece together these strange visions that came to him at night. Vasquez had joined the Army in July 1977 when he was 25. He served for a short time as a truck driver before being honorably discharged in April 1979. By all accounts, his time after serving was fairly normal. He married and raised a family. He reminisced about his time stationed in San Diego in Germany and fondly remembered the camaraderie he had with his army buddies. Fort Benning, however, had never been as fond a memory for him. He remembered the leadership there as being cold and distant, and he hadn't made any close friends. But try as he might, the memory of that place kept following him through the years. Unfortunately, most of his recollections of Fort Benning were pretty fuzzy. Sometimes it seemed like whole days or weeks of his time were missing. But then again, it was a monotonous post. Infantry training consists of running drills, cleaning your uniform, and running more drills. It's not like he could remember every single day of high school or every single day of his marriage. Memories have a way of blurring together over time, and so he never thought his lack thereof in relation to Fort Benning was all that strange. But what did bother him was the deeply unsettling feeling that overcame him whenever he did try to remember his year at the base. He couldn't quite put his finger on it, but when he realized in 1989 that the faces in his dreams were the faces of Delta Company from Fort Benning, he knew it made some kind of strange sense. Increasingly curious about his unexplainable dreams, Vasquez enlisted the help of experts. He underwent counseling, which soon led to regression therapy and hypnosis to attempt to uncover the truth behind the gaps in his memories. In 1989, this was still a common practice. Hypnosis had officially been accepted by the American Psychiatric Association in 1961 as a reliable technique for therapy. The theory behind this method is that some memories are so traumatic that the brain buries them. In order to help these memories to resurface, the individual in question must enter into a trance-like state where their fear is stripped away, 
allowing them to freely recall their troubling past. In the modern day, there is no scientific consensus as to what hypnosis even is, much less whether repressed memories are real. The American Psychological Association Working Group report mirrors what other medical researchers have found, that so-called recovered memories are not completely reliable, nor are they complete fantasies. But in 1989, it would be another few years before psychologists such as Elizabeth Loftus began to put forth studies questioning memory regression therapy. And so, believing it to be the best solution to unlocking the history behind his nightmares, John Vasquez sought out a psychiatrist qualified in hypnosis techniques. It seemed to be a success. Working with the hypnotist, he finally began to piece together the events that had been haunting his dreams for 12 years. But as he worked through therapy and started to uncover the truth behind what happened at Fort Benning, John Vasquez started remembering a story that was incredibly bizarre. A 25-year-old transfer from the Army National Guard, Vasquez arrived at Fort Benning on July 27, 1977. He was there to participate in advanced Army infantry training. Fort Benning Military Base, located in southwestern Georgia, has been home to the United States Army Infantry School since the 1920s. The base has a large main campus with barracks, a military hospital, parade grounds, an airfield, and dozens of outbuildings. Surrounding the campus is over 100 square miles of Georgia woodland, bordered to the west by the Chattahoochee River. By September, Vasquez had gotten used to the rhythms of the base. He was assigned to Delta Company, 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry, and now, a few months in, he had bonded with his brothers-at-arms. There was no indication that his entire life was about to be turned upside down. The evening of September 1st, 1977, Vasquez and his fellow soldiers were ordered to assemble at the parade grounds at 7.30 p.m. The group of 1,300 men stood in formation, awaiting the Delta Company's captain, who was supposed to give a speech. By 8 p.m., after standing at attention for a half hour, Vasquez was starting to get a bit antsy. To amuse himself while waiting, Vasquez had been looking up at the clear night sky, trying to identify stars. The soldier standing in front of Vasquez pointed out a satellite that seemed to be traveling slowly across the sky, winking in and out of visibility. As the Delta Company's captain finally approached the podium to address the assembled troops, Vasquez glanced up again. The satellite was gone. Suddenly, a high wind ripped across the parade grounds. Vasquez looked to his left and saw a large, blindingly bright light floating a few feet above the ground, approaching the soldiers. Some soldiers started fleeing, breaking ranks in the face of this unidentified enemy. From where Vasquez was standing, however, he could see lines of his companions, stiff and unmoving, frozen to the spot by the power of the light. These were the fuzzy faces from his dreams. In his account, Vasquez recalled that he first thought the light was a runaway jeep or truck, but when he witnessed the light rise to the level of the tree line, Vasquez realized they were under attack by something unlike anything he had ever seen before. Vasquez asked the soldier in front of him what was going on, 
but the soldier wouldn't respond. Stepping out of formation, Vasquez went to shake the man's shoulder, but stopped when he noticed that the soldier's eyes were closed and his head was tilted forward until it reached his chest. The soldier was unconscious. Suddenly, everything went dark. When Vasquez's vision cleared once more, he found himself staring straight down at his feet, his head bent down forward like the other soldier. He knew he had been unconscious, but he had no idea how long. All around him, it was chaos. Soldiers were taking evasive action, trying to get away from the mysterious light by hiding in the tree line or in the nooks and crannies of the base's barracks. Vasquez tried to run, but he couldn't move. While his upper body seemed to function normally, his feet were all but paralyzed, rooted where he stood. Vasquez called out for help, hoping one of the other soldiers could at the very least drag him out of the light's path. Vasquez's friend, Alan, heard him and ran toward him. When Alan reached out to grab Vasquez, his mysterious paralysis was broken. They noticed others crawling underneath the raised barracks, and so they did the same, making their way to the center of the building where they would be offered the most protection. Safe under the barracks building, the two men took a moment to regroup. Another small band of soldiers joined them, and the men all described what had happened to them. They had all seen the same thing, men paralyzed, men sleeping standing up, and that terrible, blindingly bright light. They thought that it could be a Russian attack, but if it was, it was unlike any they had ever heard of. As the group discussed sending a supply team to the armory to requisition guns, a cry rose up from the remaining soldiers rooted to the spot on the parade grounds. As Vasquez described it, these soldiers, still apparently asleep, began screaming. The screams traveled in a wave across the assembled troops, starting with Charlie Company, which was closest to the light, onto Alpha, Bravo, and finally Vasquez's own Delta Company. By the time it reached Delta, Vasquez and the others could make out what the troops were screaming. They were calling out the word, Mommy. Mommy. Vasquez, already terrified and disoriented, felt a new ripple of pure fear travel down his spine. Dare he stick his head out to see what was happening to his fellow soldiers? His curiosity overcame his fear. He crawled forward, keeping his head low, peering out from underneath the barracks. What he saw out on the parade grounds was astonishing. Next, we'll hear what Vasquez saw outside the crawl space. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. After undergoing counseling and hypnosis, John Vasquez had begun to remember a battle waged at Fort Benning when he was stationed there in 1977. 
On the evening of September 1st, the denizens of Fort Benning had been attacked by a force that paralyzed many of the soldiers. The remaining men had retreated to the crawl spaces underneath the barracks buildings. As Vasquez looked out from his hiding spot, he saw dozens and dozens of soldiers backlit by the harsh light, their heads drooping toward their chests. He heard them continue to scream, their voices growing hoarser and more strangled with each mommy. Why were they screaming? What could they see? A tendril of the mysterious light seemed to be snaking toward the crawl space as if it were searching for something. Vasquez scurried back, desperate not to let the light touch him. Confused and panicked, Vasquez yelled to his companions that they needed to evacuate the crawl space immediately. Behind him, Vasquez heard a distinctly female voice asking, What is this? When Vasquez replied, I don't know, another soldier named Alan asked him who he was talking to. Vasquez turned to Alan, who looked at him quizzically. He scanned the crawl space, searching among his fellow male soldiers for any women. Women couldn't serve as infantry in 1977, and Vasquez was certain that he hadn't seen any female nurses or MPs on the base. As far as he could tell, there were no women in the crawl space. The female voice was coming from outside the barracks. Vasquez thought if these were Russians, then they must have feet on the ground. There was maybe a female Russian operative trying to lure them out of hiding. Beckoned on by a strange voice in his head, Vasquez decided to leave the safety of the crawl space. To his left, Vasquez heard something scratching along the concrete walkway. He turned to look and saw a small figure scurrying back in the direction of the blinding light. Suddenly, something hit Vasquez's shoulder, hard. He had barely registered the sensation before he felt himself collapsing to the ground. What had hit him? A tranquilizer? A bullet? Vasquez wrote in Incident at Fort Benning that the last thing he heard before slipping into unconsciousness was a fellow soldier named Hackett calling his name. The next thing Vasquez remembered was feeling his body being lifted into the sky. He could see a blanket covering him as he rose, his body parallel to the earth. Around him, hundreds of other soldiers were being lifted in the same manner. Vasquez closed his eyes tightly. In the darkness, he heard the same female voice he had heard under the barracks speak to him again. Do you remember? The voice asked him. Remember what, he said, but the voice fell silent. In his brain, Vasquez could sense the speaker's concern for him, as if they had some sort of empathic or telepathic link. Vasquez felt cold, hard metal against his back. He could hear whisper-soft footsteps as two figures came to stand on either side of him. Too frightened to open his eyes, Vasquez tensed as he felt something with long, tapered fingers run its hands along his body. He began to hear whirring and beeping from his right as the second presence began poking and prodding him with some sort of mechanical instrument. They were performing a physical examination on Vasquez, taking measurements of his body, 
tracking his vital signs and testing his arms and legs for reflexes. The two presences murmured to each other, seeming to agree on something. Then the exam ended just as suddenly as it had started. Vasquez lied there for some time, trying to sense if the people that were examining him had gone. Confident he was alone, Vasquez opened his eyes. According to his later written account, he found himself in a huge domed circular room. Next to him on the wall, he could see a small insignia carved into the metal. Above the insignia was a blinking symbol. It rose and fell rhythmically, making a wave that looked to him like a heartbeat monitor. Cautiously, Vasquez moved his head to look around the room. There were rows and rows of floating metallic slabs as far as the eye could see. Each of the slabs was flanked on either side by a tall, thin, humanoid being with long, tapered fingers. On each slab lay one of Vasquez's fellow Fort Benning soldiers. These soldiers were being subjected to the same physical exam that Vasquez had just experienced. Vasquez heard the female voice again. This time, the voice sharply commanded him, Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. When John Vasquez became conscious once more, he remembered an extraterrestrial being approaching his table. This alien was more aggressive than the female voice he had been dealing with and demanded that Vasquez look him in its eyes. Afraid, Vasquez looked up and met the being's gaze. He claimed that the creature had large, watery, almond-shaped eyes that scared him. Losing himself in the alien's dark pupils, Vasquez was instantaneously transported out of the domed room and into a new environment. He was suddenly floating in space, looking down upon the earth. As he watched, the land and water began to explode into the atmosphere. Orange clouds erupted into the air as if from unseen volcanoes. It was the apocalypse. The alien was showing Vasquez the total annihilation of the Earth. Was it a threat? A warning? In his foggy state, Vasquez couldn't be sure. The images shifted again. In his mind, Vasquez was now face to face with another human. As he looked closer, however, he realized something was off. The human in front of him was androgynous and pale white as if it had never been exposed to the sun. It had no visible body hair, no eyebrows or eyelashes to give the face shape. This was not the being who had prompted him to look into its eyes. This was something different altogether. The human had a small mouth and wore a strange headdress atop its head. Most startling were the human's eyes, which were a shining silver and shimmered and shifted like liquid mercury. Many years later, when Vasquez once again remembered the silver-eyed human, he would question what the alien meant by showing it to him. Was this strange-looking human what mankind was destined to evolve into? Was it a hybrid between a human being and an alien? As the image of the silver-eyed human faded from Vasquez's view, he found himself once again staring into the eyes of the male alien. 
The being's face faded as Vasquez felt himself falling unconscious yet again. Vasquez awoke on the parade grounds, standing in formation and facing the podium where the captain was about to make his speech. At that time, he remembered nothing of the bright light or the strange domed room with the metal slabs or the alien creatures. He noticed that he and Hackett, who had been previously standing in the second line of the formation, were now somehow standing in the fourth line. Had he fallen asleep? And if so, for how long? Vasquez looked down at his watch to see it had stopped at 7.40 p.m. He asked a soldier standing near him for the time. That soldier's watch said 3.30 a.m. Nearby, another soldier turned to them, showing that his watch had stopped dead at 4.45 a.m. Not one soldier had the same time as another. Vasquez supposed he had nodded off at some point, but then it seemed like the entire rest of the unit had nodded off as well. It wouldn't be until years later when Vasquez finally recovered his memories of what happened the night of September 1st that he would realize they had all been abducted. More on the strange incident at Fort Benning after this. Now, back to the story. On the night of September 1st, 1977, John Vasquez awoke very confused. He found himself standing at attention on the parade grounds in Fort Benning, seemingly having fallen asleep. And it wasn't just him. Around him, the whole assembled platoon had just regained consciousness while standing at attention. They talked amongst themselves, trying to figure out what was going on, but no one could remember what happened. A drill sergeant called for attention and commanded the soldiers to report back to their barracks. As the group broke formation and started heading toward the building, Vasquez recalled seeing soldiers bobbing and weaving as if they were suffering from vertigo. Some soldiers fell to the ground unable to keep their balance, and some even began vomiting. Vasquez himself started feeling sick and disoriented. As Vasquez began to change into his nightclothes at his bunk, he noticed that his shirt had been buttoned unevenly and his army-issue boots were tied in a strange, complicated fashion. Strict adherence to the dress code is very important in the army. Vasquez knew if he had dressed this sloppily, he would certainly have been punished. Had someone disturbed his uniform when he fell asleep out on the parade grounds? Looking around, he noticed that the other soldiers' uniforms had similar abnormalities. An eerie sensation came over him as he contemplated how everyone could have fallen asleep at the same time and not noticed anyone messing with their clothes. This feeling stayed with him as the lights went out and everyone tried to go to bed. The sounds of the other soldiers tossing in their bunks filled the barracks. Vasquez jumped as some of the other men began screaming, jolting awake from what seemed like a collective nightmare. But eventually, exhaustion set in and even Vasquez fell asleep. His dreams were filled with strange figures men with big eyes and long fingers. There was a light in the sky that drove him mad. It wouldn't shut off. It wouldn't shut off. 
On the morning of September 2nd, 1977, Vasquez jolted out of bed, his eyes blinking in the too bright daylight. He was tangled and sweating in his army-issued blanket. His neck felt stiff and his joints ached as if he had been running all night long. As his eyes adjusted to the light, he realized the daylight seemed much too strong for their normal 6 a.m. wake-up time. A bunkmate told him that it was 10 a.m., long past the time they should have woken up. But there had been nothing. Neither a bugle call nor a drill sergeant's voice to wake them. Other members of Delta Company were slowly waking up as well, blinking in the daylight as they stretched and rubbed their sore muscles. Much like Vasquez, many soldiers were shocked to realize that it was so late in the morning. No one in the group remembered anything out of the ordinary besides their stopped timepieces and sensations of vertigo. However, the evidence that something strange had happened was all around them. Besides waking up late, their sergeant hadn't arrived to ream them out for their tardiness. In fact, no commanding officers seemed to be present at all. Men were wearing stained and torn uniforms from the previous night. The soldiers, however, couldn't remember what exactly they had been doing to get their uniforms so dirty. When the company's sergeant finally appeared to Vasquez and Delta Company, he brushed off their questions about what was happening and told them they were to perform a training exercise in the woods around Fort Benning. Within a matter of hours, the men of Delta Company had packed their gear and hiked out into the Georgia wilderness. Some soldiers were uneasy about their assignment, as none of the other companies were joining them in the exercise. Normally, different companies would train as a group. Why was Delta Company being singled out? Once the soldiers arrived in the afternoon at a designated bivouac campsite, which is a makeshift campsite built from natural materials, their commanding officers wished them good luck and left them there alone. The week that followed was filled with a series of nonsensical, bizarre, even hallucinogenic events that Vasquez struggled to explain even after his hypnosis sessions. In the early morning of September 3rd, Vasquez was awakened by the sound of live ammunition going off on the other side of the hill. He and the other soldiers had been expecting some sort of surprise task to be sprung upon them. This was supposed to be, after all, a training exercise. However, it was very strange that their opposition seemed to be using live rounds. The normal protocol was that no live ammunition was to be allowed this close to a restricted army bivouac site. As a group, the company decided that while they had been given no explicit instruction, their task must be to confiscate the live ammunition from the company on the other side of the hill. Since they had no ammunition of their own and no commanding officers to direct them, this would prove to be a difficult challenge. Delta Company came up with a plan. They would wait until after nightfall to attack, and one faction would remain behind at the bivouac site to guard their supplies. This faction would set trip wires and booby traps to alert them to any approaching enemies. Dividing the remaining company into smaller groups, Vasquez, Hackett, Allen, and others led them around the hill, flanking the opposing company. The men of Delta Company recognized some of the enemy soldiers, 
and realized that they were a more senior infantry company from Fort Benning. As they surrounded the other soldiers, the Delta factions ambushed and subdued their perimeter guards. They confiscated the guards' guns and, now armed, were able to force the enemy infantrymen to hand over the live ammunition. Still with no clear direction, Vasquez and Delta Company would spend the better part of the next week trying to return to base and keep the confiscated ammunition from being stolen back by other Fort Benning companies. Vasquez would later remember a number of other events that plagued the company during their renegade week. One such event occurred late one night when Delta Company was attempting to travel through the Georgia wilderness. The soldiers were marching along a dirt road when suddenly they found themselves unable to move forward. There was nothing blocking their way that anyone could see, but some sort of invisible force or wall was preventing them from making any headway. The men tried running at the invisible wall, kicking it and striking it with the butts of their guns, but they couldn't break through. After struggling for a while, the men found that if they surged forward as a unit, they could push the unseen barrier and move forward a foot or two at a time. Delta Company went on in this way, inching forward and fighting against the mysterious force for a few hundred yards. Vasquez recalled two men separating from the group and going back the way they came, claiming they wanted to investigate some strange shadows that seemed to be behind them. Uneasy about letting two soldiers go off alone, Vasquez and the others quickly shouted for them to come back. The two soldiers quickly returned, pale and shaking. We saw us, they said to the company. We saw us standing in a circle. The shadows are of us. It's the entire circle of our 300 men over there. It's us. As Delta Company tried to make sense of what the two soldiers were saying, one of the men fired off a flare in the hopes that they might receive aid. None came, but oddly enough, they noticed that when the flare was fired, the invisible wall moved further. They continued to fire flares and push as a team until the spell seemed to be broken. The invisible force or wall was gone. According to Vasquez, the company, too shaken up by what they had already witnessed, did not turn back to see if the two men were right about the shadow soldiers. Then, on Monday, September 5th, the military exercise, if that's what it had been, ended abruptly. Delta Company had finally made it back to Fort Benning. The main campus seemed strange and unsettling. Although nothing physically looked different, Vasquez could feel a familiar ripple of fear travel along his spine. Vasquez and Delta Company were called into a meeting with an unnamed general and colonel. They were asked why they had taken the ammunition. Vasquez explained that Delta Company had feared for their safety when they realized live ammunition was being used. Since they were left alone with no instructions or commanding officers, they had decided that the best thing would be to capture the live ammunition to make sure they weren't hurt by it. The general told Vasquez to have Delta Company give back the ammunition, and in return, they would not be punished. 
instead, they would start their training course over again. Delta Company, along with Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie Companies, were back to their normal activities by the next day, Tuesday, September 6th. Although everyone knew something strange was going on, no one was quite sure what it was. The infantrymen knew two unusual things had happened. First, they had lost a significant amount of time and could not remember what happened the evening of September 1st. Second, Delta Company had been assigned a bizarre military training exercise during which they had witnessed some seemingly impossible events. And now, apparently, all of the commanding officers on the base were pretending like nothing out of the ordinary had happened. After a long day of training, the officers retired and the soldiers began preparing for lights out. At 10.30 p.m., however, they began to notice that the lights all around the fort were winking on and off. In his book, Incident at Fort Benning, Vasquez recounts that as the men exited the various barracks to get a better look, they became aware of a large luminous object floating above the tree lines. Vasquez saw the general raise a radio to his lips and call in a helicopter for an airstrike against the luminous object. As the helicopter approached, small balls of electricity began shooting out from the sky, targeting the soldiers. The light balls did not seem to act like bullets, but like white-hot stunners as they knocked men off their feet and burned exposed flesh. Amid the chaos, a giant ball of light shot out from the object in the sky and enveloped the chopper. Careening back and forth, the chopper crashed into the ground. All around, men were screaming and firing indiscriminately into the sky. All of Fort Benning seemed to be at war with an unknown enemy. In the midst of the battle, Vasquez remembers turning and grabbing the arm of what he thought was a fellow soldier. However, as soon as he touched it, he felt oddly familiar, long, tapered fingers. In the moment, he somehow knew it wasn't human. Years later, when going back through his memories in a therapist's office, he would realize why he automatically knew the fingers he felt were alien. They were the same fingers he had felt giving him a physical exam when he had been abducted. A few other members of Delta Company grabbed Vasquez and dragged him back out of the firefight. He was babbling. He told them what had happened. When the alien limb had touched him, he felt as if it was trying to speak to him telepathically. With most of the men taking cover from the mysterious luminous object, the base had become oddly still. The object stopped firing off balls of light. Vasquez was ushered quickly to the office of the general, where he relayed his experience and told the general that the beings, or aliens, wanted to communicate with him. Vasquez, the general, and an aide were escorted out to the parade grounds and surrounded by the other 1,300 men at Fort Benning who had their weapons at the ready. The beings, or aliens, or whatever they were, used Vasquez as a conduit to speak with the general. While Vasquez himself can't remember much of the substance of the conversation, he does remember feeling like he was floating outside himself hearing words come out of his mouth. 
He heard himself speak to the general, but felt as if he was listening to the conversation from another room. Vasquez said, quote, When it was over, the general seemed surprised, shocked, a little pale, and very subdued. There were a lot of men watching me with great curiosity as the general left the area. For his part, Vasquez was never able to remember what the aliens actually said while communicating through him. The troops were ordered to the barracks for the night, and Vasquez was left alone with his thoughts to wonder, had he really just spoken to an alien? And more importantly, had that extraterrestrial just spoken through him? The strangest thing Vasquez remembered about the whole affair was how the army seemed to treat it as a non-issue. The next morning, September 7th, right after the entire fort had witnessed Vasquez communicating with an alien, it was business as usual. A female lieutenant arrived at the fort and word quickly spread that she was a psychiatrist here to evaluate the men. By the time Vasquez was brought in to see her two days later, he had grown uneasy about the prospect. Soldiers that were reporting to her were returning to the barracks disoriented. According to Vasquez, the psychiatrist injected him with some sort of drug and interrogated him about his experiences from the previous couple of days. She kept saying to him over and over, the only way to help yourself is to let go of the memory of all past events. In Vasquez's account, after hours of interrogation and more drugs, he found himself sitting in a room with the psychiatrist. He was unable to remember who she was or what they had talked about. Twelve years passed, and all Vasquez had to remember his time at Fort Benning was a string of horrible nightmares. When he could finally remember all of the shocking details, Vasquez became certain that something sinister had been going on at the base. To find out the truth, Vasquez started writing letters, hundreds of them. And the responses he received led him to believe he'd found one of the biggest cover-ups in military history. Next week on Extraterrestrial, we'll hear what happened when John Vasquez began digging into what occurred that September at Fort Benning. You can listen to Extraterrestrial and all of ParCast's other shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. We'll be back next week. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Russell Nash. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Extraterrestrial is written by Molly Quinlan and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson.